0: Hey, joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Batt. Good morning, Al.
1: Good morning, Karen. How are you? I just uh, heard from Mark LaRose and he, uh, about the State Fair. He says, have you seen the large mural picture as part of the Washington County exhibit in the Hort Building? the exhibit is ostensibly an education diorama regarding bald eagles but the large picture in the background shows an african fish eagle complete with acacia trees i don't know who to contact but i thought someone might have information sure there there are numerous pictures of bald eagles in flight maybe even taken in minnesota that would be available to complete the display Yeah, it's tough doing stuff up. You have everybody knows so much anymore. So it's uh, always going to, you know, error like that. People, people notice now. I am uh, sitting here. I have a sharpened lead pencil, an old wood lead pencil. There's something about having a sharpened pencil. I just, I like them. I like those that write softly. Aren't they real hard lead? And there's There's just something cool about the scratching sounds it makes when you jot something on a piece of paper. And I I love that. And another thing I love, well, the term biophilia, uh, bio, B-I-O, and then P-H-I-L-I-A, I -I I believe. And it was popularized by a psychoanalyst, Eric Fromm, in the 1960s, and he used the word to describe the biological drive towards self-preservation. But in the 1970s, one of my heroes, uh, an American biologist by the name of E.O. Wilson, extended the words meaning, seeing it as the perfect word for the rich, natural pleasure that comes from being surrounded by living organisms. And that's kind of the more popular meaning, I believe, now in uh, it's one that I, I certainly experience on a daily basis. I'm, I'm thrilled by all the monarch butterflies I'm seeing on the blazing stars. Uh, I don't know if I'm thrilled about the wild cucumber blooming, but, boy, as you drive along, you'll see it everywhere. It's an annual vine, has white flowers, and it's climbing upon fences, shrubs, and trees. Uh, goldenrod and jewelweed delight me. Uh, prickly ash has these berries that smell like citrus. And my mom used to get them, and she'd put them in um, like an old nylon stocking and throw them in a a chest of drawers. And they just made uh, like a potpourri, made everything smell better. Uh, Swallows are still gathering on utility wires in preparation for migration. I'm seeing flying grasshoppers, and these are Carolina grasshoppers. They have a little black on the wing. Uh, ruby-throated hummingbirds, I just saw one in the yard here. Uh, they're still visiting feeders and flowers. And the last one seen in my yard is right around September 25th of each year. And a young male cardinal becoming redder by the day and a bald-headed blue jay are frequent visitors to our feeding stations here. I saw a chunky black cricket scurry into our garage seems like every time we open the garage door or bring it down, crickets
0: rush one way or another. Does chunky mean it's fat? Is that what that means? Chunky? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fat one. Oh, I thought maybe it was a a variety that I hadn't heard of. (laughs) No,
1: it's a field cricket. And they're the common ones that a lot of people see, the black ones. And uh, not much later, as uh, it started to get a little dark, I listened to the songs of snowy tree crickets. And these green insects are temperature crickets. So we count the number of songs given in 13 seconds, and then we add 40 to yield the temperature. And that's called Dolbear's Law. So I don't know how long it took him to come up with that, but he came up with it. And they sound like sleigh bells. And Nathaniel Hawthorne described the song as an audible stillness, which I just think, boy, that's just a beautiful way, an audible stillness. And he added this about the Song of the Snowy Tree Cricket. He said, if moonlight could be heard, it would sound just like that. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, Bryce Gaudian. Bryce lives out by Hayward. And he said, hey, Al, we have a pair of genuine turtle doves on our farm. Second year they've nested here. The other 28 years we've lived here have never seen one. Are they rare in these parts? The bird book we have shows they have an extremely limited range he said, I'm at the airport about to leave for Glacier National Park and 45 miles of hiking in the mountains. What bird should I hope to see there? I, it's uh, a Eurasian collared dove. You have uh, Bryce, and they nest here, and they do that hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo, and they're very vocal. I'm hearing them singing everywhere right now. And I, did, uh, I texted Bryce some birds that he could uh, see, and I just uh, heard back from him, and he said uh, he was looking forward to adding some birds to his life list. Arita Granson of Mason City said she went out to Parker's Woods, it's a park in Mason City, and saw eight species of warblers, golden-winged, bay-breasted, blackburnian, Canada, chestnut-sided. Also saw a great-crested, olive-sided, least flycatcher, and Phoebe's yellow-throated vireo and many noisy red-eyed vireos uh betty lucas who is also from mason city said she also went to parker's woods and uh saw nashville and warbler and oven bird uh, gray cheek thrush Swainson's thrush and a vireo. and at the uh, sod farm north of mason city was an american golden plover uh john of new alm sent you a postcard and uh he said if you go to usps.com, postal store stamps, you can see current and future stamps, but if you go to SR Perspective, all one word, srperspective.com, for August photos, if you see a blonde cat ready to take a nap, click on it, it will get bigger, it's my photo. I mail in photos almost every month. I did enter the 2018 New Ulm phone book cover contest, and we'll enter some 2018 New Ulm calendar. Um,
0: John is quite the photographer, because I know he says that sometimes you have also photos where he has his printed sometimes, and I'm not sure. You must send some different places as well?
1: Yeah, mine are in um, uh, oh, a lot of newspapers and magazines. So.
0: So you so you just randomly send them in, or do, are you on a contract to send some in? Or?
1: Yeah, it's part of a, a deal. Oh, really? A, a, gig, a gig, yeah. Oh,
0: okay, cool.
1: And you know, every so often, there's so many wonderful photographers out there, but like my dad always said, every so often a blind cell finds an acorn. So every so often you take a photo and you say, wow. That's, that's great, yeah. That's, that's really good. I wonder what happened. I wonder what I was doing there when it turned <laughs> out so well. So it, it's kind of fun, and uh, but boy, there's a lot of good photography. So Everybody's a good photographer. Al,
0: when you do your photos, do you, do you actually set your own or do you use the automatic setting?
1: Uh, for the most part, I set my own.
0: Oh, um, you do? Okay, because see, I yeah. still, I mean, I've been doing photos and I can do pretty decent photos, but I still have yet to figure out. To me, it's still kind of a mystery of how to set that. So I keep saying I'm going to take lessons or something, but uh, I'm fortunate I've got a camera that, that ends up adjusting things well for me.
1: So many of the cameras have so many settings anymore. Uh, Hundreds. Yeah, you just turn it to that, and a friend of mine says that's all he ever uses because he figures the camera knows what it's doing a lot more than he does. So he just said, here you go, camera. And uh, I monkey with them a, a little bit. I used to monkey with them a lot more, but they're just getting cameras are just getting better and better the sensors are incredible Uh, I just I'm amazed uh, how good they are and and I said this often but people send me a lot of photos that they've taken with their cell phones Mm -hmm. years ago man that was just a disaster well they were
0: real grainy and yeah Uh, blurry etc but now some of those cell phones can take almost as good as a, a nice fancy camera
1: Oh, they're wonderful, and most of the photos that are posted online in one photo-sharing thing or another, I'd, I'd hazard to say most of those are taken with cell phones anymore, because well, they they have the cell phone with them. And-
0: have you ever looked back in old photo albums, and, and I, I look back and I see how many of the pictures were... Oh, I don't know. They're a little blurry or they're just off. Or and My mom tended to cut off people's heads and things like that. Uh-huh. And I just, I just look and see how things have changed through the years when they had the little brownie camera, which, by the way, I used to have one of those little box brownie cameras, and it took oh, just sure. amazing pictures um but then they had the little ones where the with the little square flash bulbs on top and and you didn't want to waste it because if you you know didn't have it set up right you, your pictures were done and your flashes were gone and so you were I was very frugal and I think I don't really have that many pictures from back when we were kids because you had to use film and it cost money and it cost money to develop and so now today there's just billions and billions of pictures everywhere that are going to be lost in cyberspace and nobody will ever see
1: it's uh, There was that excitement and anticipation, though, when mm-hmm. you took it into the drugstore because you had no idea if any of them were going to turn yes. out, and my mom would spread those photos over about eight months in a camera, <laughs> so by that time, you'd forgotten what was even in there, so it was like opening a box of Cracker Jacks and yes. finding a prize at the bottom. you say, wow, I was visiting with a, a former neighbor of mine, Eddie Hendrickson, the other day, and he's living in a a senior housing and he said uh, we were talking about when they built the house on his farm his family lived in the greenery of all places so but i said you know i looked through the old photos and we have a lot of photos of people i wish we'd taken some photos of some of the old buildings and things on the farm we didn't do that because it'd be even the outhouse i'd like to have a Photo of the old outhouse, but it's long gone, and we just you didn't, as you say, those things cost money, and you weren't going to waste them taking a photo of an outhouse. You know what was the point of that?
0: So, well, even I'd love to see like inside the house, the rooms. You know, you took pictures of people like a birthday party or, or something big like that, but I think back and what our living room looked like, and what some of the bedrooms looked like, and the colors, and I think back. Wish I had something to to you know show my kids and say, hey, this is where we lived when we were kids, yep. but we don't.
1: We took pictures of cows and dogs yes. and we, <laughs> cats we took pictures of cars. <laughs> oh. When, uh, my family never ever had a new car, but when they'd get a car that was new to them and like owned by four or five previous people, then we'd get out there and we'd get a picture taken by the car. One time that car was in a photo. So we have pictures of cars, which is which is kind of neat. You forget you forget some of those old cars. Uh, John of New Alm had a joke for the day. I'm going to ask you this one. Okay. What do you
0: call a cat at the beach? Um, I I know this. Okay. Sandy Claws. Sandy
1: Claws, <laughs> yes. And uh, John says, uh, have a good day. And Yeah, thanks, John. I hope you're having just uh, your best day ever. Speaking of Johns, John Nelson of Good Thunder said one of their redheaded woodpeckers was Queer calling, they do a queering call on a dead tree near the deck when my wife spotted a juvenile 20 feet away on another branch. Make, makes a good summer into a great one. John Bukowski sent me a photo, he's from Hayward, of sandhill cranes in one of his fields. Uh, Kurt Nemitz says he has Cooper socks in his yard. He said they're kind of terrorizing everything. Are they going to be around all winter? um for the most part they leave Um, there's always some that can hang around but uh, usually they kind of move out of here matt mars of albert lee watched a pair of sandhill cranes over near brownsdale tim poolis said john friends and i headed south taking the back roads to minnesota lake saturday hoping to see some migrating shorebirds all we saw was a spotted sandpiper for the day at the city park in the town of minnesota lake is a good spot to set up a spotting scope to look westward over the lake we could see a few western greaves close to us but after viewing through the scope out over the lake we counted at least 400 western greaves do they gather up for migration or does the lake support that many nesting pairs we also saw the usual herons egrets pelicans gulls terns and pied billed greaves uh... western greaves kind of nest in a a lot of them nest in one area so it's almost like communal nesting they're just all over and when it comes time to migrate they they migrate at night and as far as flocks sort of they're loosely formed flocks so they migrate together but not really it's kind of one of those things where they're all headed the same direction uh, Del Biak of uh, Mankato said, Al, I have a question. We have heard a bird with a call we don't really recognize. It's kind of like toot, toot, toot. All in the same tone with emphasis on the middle. Is that an owl? I really appreciate if you could take a minute to fill us in. Well, I let Del know what I think, and I think it's a Eurasian-collared dove. And again, it's a whoo 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 hoo hoo And um, they're just really vocal now. I don't think anyone would have to Walk too far, particularly if you live in a small town or there's a grain elevator or something. You will you will find these guys. Uh, Barb and Denny Martin, and they live up in the Twin Cities. They found a pair of blue grosbeaks in Gibbon, and they were in a cemetery in the southwest edge of town, and it appears to be the first county record of blue grosbeaks. And there were also earlier in that same cemetery, I believe, there were red crossbills. So cemeteries are great places for, uh, for looking for birds. September 23rd um, at the Raptor Center, uh, they're having their fall raptor release event, and they take rehabilitated raptors and they release them back into the wild. So I don't know what birds they will have there. It's always a, 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 just a great event. And it it's Saturday, September 23rd, and it goes from 10 until 3. And it's located at the Carpenter St. Croix Valley Nature Center, and that's in Hastings, Minnesota. So if anybody finds themselves up in that area, it's, uh, it's just, it is so neat to see those birds go back into the wild. And birds that have uh, were in danger of not making it are suddenly free once again. And it just gives everybody hope. I, uh, when I was in Henderson at the uh, Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah, uh, one of the questions I got was, it said, my father called cicadas locusts. He said, listen to the locust calling. She said, why did my dad call them locusts? Well, you know, he he was a sharp guy, so that wasn't it. It wasn't stupidity or anything. He just, that's what they called him. Uh, locusts are a type of grasshopper. Well, I think cicadas would be probably more closely related to crickets. But early American colonists had never seen cicadas, but they were familiar with the biblical story of locust plagues, in Egypt and Palestine and when the cicadas appeared in large numbers some early colonists thought the locust plague had descended upon them so from that point on they called them locusts and when I was a kid I heard them call locust about 99 percent of the time hardly ever heard cicada and but they uh, there are uh, I hear them singing out here today now so Even um, a little cool maybe for them, but they're singing. So a lot of cicadas this year and a lot of cicada killer wasps because there's a lot of cicadas. So it's just one of those uh, cool things to see and uh, enjoy, and uh, it's free for the looking. Also in at Henderson, somebody said, you know, I want to grow milkweed, but it's so invasive.
0: Oh, that's true. It, it, it is true because, you know, I had a clump in my my uh, garden in the back by the pond, and I don't know, does it go spread from underground somehow? Because I don't think it's just by seeds, because I get them popping up in the middle of my yard, and it just bugs me.
1: And they do indeed spread by both seeds and rhizomes.
0: Okay, that's why, because they come up in the weirdest spots, and I keep pulling them and think like well how did this get over here because I don't let them go to seed but yeah okay. And some
1: people put uh, barriers around them into the ground a ways to keep the rhizomes from getting out of the bed where they're supposed to be and as far as the seeds themselves um, you can cut off the seed pods before they open or you can actually bind them shut with twist ties or rubber bands, and that will certainly diminish the numbers. But again, it's a perennial, and it spreads not only by seeds but by rhizomes too. Uh, you can plant swamp milkweed. It's a lovely replacement. Mm-hmm. Or butterfly weed is beautiful orange swamp milkweed, a, a bright kind of purple color, and they do not spread like common milkweed. The problem is uh they will lay their eggs on swamp milkweed, but mm. I don't see a lot of eggs on there, and I hardly see any on the butterfly weed. that said, they sure can, and maybe some people are having really good luck with that, but it seems like the butterflies here in our yard like common milkweed,
0: they do, yes, yeah, and there's
1: a lot more common milkweed out there. And, and I've got the
0: a, world milkweed, too, but that stuff spreads like crazy as well, and I've had to pull that to keep it under control, too. But I get a lot of monarch caterpillars on there as well as the regular uh, swamp oh, milkweeds, cool. too. But, yeah, yeah, so, so that's been one, and I, I know the first year I had a whole bunch, and I let it spread, and then a little bit after that I realized if you let it spread, it's going to be everywhere, so I've had to contain it.
1: I know when I was a little boy I went out in the woods and there were violets growing everywhere and I dug up a bunch of them, filled my little red wagon (laughs) with all kinds of them I dug up and I came home and planted them in the backyard and said a little prayer, you know, please let them all come up and thrive, I don't want any of them to die. Oh, you know, within about two years, our whole backyard was nothing but violets. It just
0: uh, <laughs> became a carpet. They're invasive, too, yes. I've got those at the, the lake house. There's are uh, everywhere, too, because they spread very easily.
1: They, they look so sweet and kind of frail, you know. Yeah. And is there, we're going to be stepping on you all the time and mowing you, and I just you know, please just do okay. And boy, oh boy, I, I needn't, that was one worry I could have crossed off my list of things to worry about, Cause, and that backyard is still pretty much violet. So they're, they're just, uh, and uh, right up to the outhouse. So we had this nice, floral trail right to the outhouse so it was it was pretty spiffy but
0: when when they're all in bloom they're they're beautiful like this spring it was just purple everywhere and i thought oh how beautiful and now they just look like weeds amongst the the rocks everywhere they (laughs) they've started to spread so
1: you know that's the way it
0: is
1: (laughs) i um heard a coyote the other night and it was around this time of year they start going out with the young ones to hunt and things And uh, somebody, a friend, said, uh, what do they eat? And I said, well, what don't they eat? Uh, They aren't picky eaters. My mom was always, she would, uh, she loved to cook, so she always kind of judged a man by their ability to um, eat huge quantities of food. She'd say, well, he's a good eater. And uh, boy, coyotes, again, they aren't picky. They're omnivores. So we think of them as carnivores, but they're omnivores. They generally feed at night, and they'll eat, oh, see, rodents, rabbits, fish, frogs, snakes. They'll eat insects, fruit, grass, birds, garbage, uh, pet food, garden vegetables. Uh, They'll eat the occasional pet, uh, livestock, carrion, and deer and the deer are primarily road-killed, and most of the livestock uh, would have to be pretty young or, or uh, ailing or dead before they eat them, but they eat a lot of roadkill and drag things off our roads, so I, I appreciate them for that, that they get out there and take some of that stuff off the roads, because otherwise... It just stays there. And, I, you know, you always think, boy, I should get a shovel and go down and remove that <laughs> skunk from the middle of the road. Well, that thought doesn't get very far. But I it smells
0: so know. bad, and I always, you know, I think about that, too, it's, because the smell is so strong. Does How does the smell eventually go away? Is it kind of like anything else? It just sort of the, the animal just sorts of dissipates, and it dissipates in the air yep. with everything else?
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of things that work on the carcass, not just coyotes and vultures and crows, but there's a a lot of insects of various kinds that get in there and take care of those carcasses. And I I know our dogs on the farm used to get into an occasional row with a skunk, and you'd try to clean them up, and then all of a sudden they're smelling pretty good, and then they go outside in the rain and all of a sudden they smelled just like that skunk again. So that uh, would just stay in their fur and with a little wet, yeah. out it would come. And uh, so then, poor old Rex, she was my favorite dog, and uh, she would be banned from the house and my mom would say, that's it, you're not coming in here until you get rid of that smell. And poor Rex, she couldn't understand. You know, she was in the house yesterday <laughs> and now today she's outside. What's the deal? I'm sure she was running through her brain trying to say, well, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And I'd try to explain it to her, and she'd just say, that's great. I just want to be back in the house is all. So it's uh, skunks, and I've told everybody many times, I've been sprayed more times by skunks than any man should ever be sprayed. Slow learner. And, uh, boy, that just stays with you forever. It's hard to get rid of it.
0: So did you uh, dump the tub full of, of uh, tomato sauce or something? And how did you get yourself so you don't smell like a skunk continually? Yeah,
1: my mom borrowed all the tomato juice she could <laughs> find from people and and filled a tub and threw me in there. And it, it was an actual tub, like uh, they used to call them wash tubs.
0: Oh, okay, like it was a galvanized
1: Yeah, because she didn't want to stink up the bathtub, (laughs) so she threw me in this thing. And then she poured all the tomato juice over me on top of my head, and it just ran down. Then I had a soak in there, and that tomato juice, of course, was cold, too. It wasn't warm. (laughs) I'm sitting there, and my skin turned red, and uh, I still smelled it. My dad said I was like a skunk swimming in a lake of tomato juice. So I came out of there, and I had a nice reddish tint all over, but I still smelled, and so then I don't know how many baths they gave me and scrubbed, and, you know, moms, they're so sweet, but every time they scrub you, the scrubbing gets a little more firm. It's like they're trying to take the skin off after a while.
0: Did your and, parents uh, ever use lava? There was that soap called lava, and it was, like, kind of a gray, and it felt like it was a sandbar, and you'd use it yeah. to, when you were really dirty. Maybe they still make it. I don't know. I just remember it was some of the uh, harshest soap. I think it was actually probably lava from from a volcano. Yeah, and Uh, and we used it, you know, coming up from the barn because you'd get so so dirty or grease or whatever. But it seems to me it. I remember it it did work well.
1: It was uh, had pumice in it. Okay, it, it was our soap of choice. I didn't get to choose, but it was the soap we had, and we had that in Gojo, which was kind of a hmm. creamy stuff that came out of a container to take oil and grease off hands, and a lot of hardware uh, implement places used it, and Dad would get it there, but yeah, man, I had a soap. I, I said a bad word once. I got a <laughs> bar of lava soap shoved in my mouth. Oh my. I didn't know it was a bad word, but I figured it out pretty quickly that maybe that was a word that I shouldn't share with uh, with my parents anyway. But it seemed like a cool word up till that time. And it's a word that you hear in every movie now. But oh, in those days, I remember that look of just, it was beyond, it was shock in my mom's face that I could, uh, my mother was a Baptist and my father was a Mormon. So it wasn't a, a word that ever came around our house And I just thought I was being smart And I let it slip out and Oops oof. You learn fast <laughs> Oh my gosh And So I can still taste that gravel Like in the, the lava I hope everyone today Will get outside and just take a walk around It's a beautiful day For walking Because it's just real comfortable And you know there's no mosquitoes I mean no mosquitoes at all It just There's none there and, and then come to the cafe after you work up an appetite where the food chain is missing a few links. a special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. Uh, my, the story I shared at a meeting of the Loafers Club this morning was I was watching a granddaughter play softball. And the girls on both teams were exceedingly skilled. And I found myself doing the play-by-play in my mind, and I endeavor not to mumble or even move my lips while doing so because people will move away from me on the bleachers. Why do I do this? Because of the Milwaukee Braves. I, when I was a boy, I listened to Earl Gillespie and Blaine Walsh describe the Milwaukee Braves games on KDHL 920 on the AM radio dial. I listened for years. Joe Adcock or Frank Torrey at first, Red Shainjitz Felix Mantia at second, Johnny Logan was a shortstop, Eddie Matthews, man third, Hank Aaron, Wes Covington, and Andy Pathco patrolled the outfield. Del Crandall was a catcher, and Warren Spahn, Lou Burdett, and Bob Buell were the primary starters on the mound. An uncle gave me a cigar box so that I had a proper place for my baseball card collection of Braves players. I kept score using a scorebook that I'd fashioned out of a notebook. So when I do my silent play-by-play of softball games, I hear the voices of Gillespie and Walsh, but don't tell anyone. Remember, folks... Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, thank you, as always, for your fine company. And thanks, everybody, for listening. It means the world.
0: Okay, one more. One more. I just got sure. I just got in a text from John. Maybe Al knows this one. What kind of car do tigers like?
1: Oh, my gosh. What kind of t- car do tigers like? I don't know. You think cougar? Uh, I don't know. Cadillacs. Oh, man. (laughs) Man, oh, man, oh, man, John. Or I would have
0: thought jaguars, too, you know, maybe. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah.
0: Oof, duh. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Al. We appreciate you, and we'll chat with you next week, all right? I look forward
1: to it. Thanks, Thanks. Karen. Bye, Bye, everyone.